0: Hey everyone. It is great to see you. Yeah, I'm glad to be here. This is fun. I'm glad we got to do this together. So uh, let's just, let's just get this going, guys. okay, I got, I got a lot to cover. So let's get into it. We're here in this series, The Long Gospel, right? So last week we started off this series talking about kind of giving an overview is what I wanted to do to give you an overview of the book as a whole of Galatians, is a study in Galatians. And so you could, I mean, heck, you could go through, you could read through Galatians, the rest of Galatians tonight if you wanted to, after this, and you can see what's coming up. But uh, we have, I gave kind of an overview of the book last week, as well as some ideas about the first two chapters and what they're telling us, and kind of a, a general perspective on what is the lone gospel. You know, why is it so important that we believe in a very particular thing and getting all these things right about what it means to, to precisely follow God, what it means to, to make sure that we're not adding to that idea in any way that would distort it or twist it or, or make it so that we or anybody else would have to try to feel as though they need to measure up to that in some way. No, we do not need to measure up. What we need is faith in who God is, faith in who God has made you to be and and, and and really to trust in him to take you where you need to go. And so that's that's the idea. And so you might notice too, as you read the book of Galatians, it's sort of, the way it's formatted, it's like an argument, okay? It's kind of like a, whatever. Anybody been on like a debate team or anything like that? I don't know. Okay, we got a couple, you know? So it's just like, this is a debate. He's, he's squaring off, squaring up, squaring, squaring something <laughs> against people who are, who are kind of propagating heresies of, oh yes, this is like the way that you actually need to live as a believer. And he's saying, no, he's fighting these heresies by using reason to prove certain foundational ideas about the truth that God's revealed to us. So that's kind of the the flow of the book of Galatians that started with those first two chapters that we read a little bit of last week. And then today, tonight, I wanna go over this, this third chapter he continues this argument that he was already moving through, that that the Galatians should not be swayed by a legalistic distortion of the gospel, and neither should we. And so the first half of Galatians 3, it's it's an appeal to two things. He appeals to the personal experience of the Galatians, and he also secondly appeals to Old Testament scripture in order to make his case, that the rituals of the law are not needed. Though these rituals, these, these legalistic requirements that were being placed on the Galatians, he was saying, hey, this is not how this works. This is not how you achieve salvation. And so in, in chapter three, he's talking about how in their own experience and in, in the Old Testament, we can actually see that uh, that's, it's not the case. And so he's trying to refute uh, the argument of these, these people that he is opposing. So as he makes these appeals, though, he Paul introduces a new kind of figure, new character, if you will, into this kind of process, into this lone gospel message. And he introduces the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is a key figure with an important role in our faith, in the lone gospel. And so to, to briefly summarize who the Holy Spirit is before moving along to the rest of the points and the the little fill in the blank thingies. The Holy Spirit is is God. He is God, he is one of three persons in the Trinity. And so when we read the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, this is, for example, in the Matthew 28, 18 through 20, we read this like two weeks ago, and Jesus tells his disciples to baptize people in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And so we see in that passage and in other parts of scripture that these three form the three unified persons of God. So there's a lot more I could break down about that, but that doesn't, you don't need to worry about it. The Holy Spirit was at work throughout the Old Testament. And after Jesus came to earth, he he lived, he died, he was resurrected. And then when Jesus ascended, it says, The Bible tells us that he sent the Holy Spirit in order to indwell us. He sent the Holy Spirit in his place so that even though we don't have Jesus walking around physically and like telling us cool things, he's given us the Holy Spirit to be able to discern and to do lots of other really interesting things. And so the Holy Spirit is at work within us who believe in God. And so 2 Corinthians 3.17 says, now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. The lone gospel is all about the freedom that we have in Christ. Since we're not bound by a law that requires us to earn our salvation, the Holy Spirit is an important figure in our freedom. And Paul lists in some ways, in some of these verses of Galatians 3, four roles that the spirit has in this process, in the lone gospel. And so that's what I want to just very briefly kind of dive into with you all tonight as we read uh, some of this chapter. So the first role of the Holy Spirit is that he certifies our salvation. The Spirit certifies our salvation. So before I explain that, we'll read some of these first few verses of the chapter. Now in these, in these first few verses, Paul, uh, he just comes out guns blazing. You guys, you guys might remember last week how emphatic he was about how much the Galatians were dropping the ball. And uh, he still isn't still kidding, you know? So in the first two verses, he says, "'You foolish Galatians, whew, who has hypnotized you, "'before whose eyes Jesus Christ was vividly displayed, "'sorry, vividly portrayed as crucified. "'I only want to learn this from you. "'Did you receive the Spirit By the works of the law or by hearing with faith? So, man, just just going to town on him, okay? A few things stand out to me though. A few things stand out. First of all, this is Paul's first mention of the Spirit in this letter, in the book of Galatians. And within that accusatory question where he says, did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? In that question, Paul is basically saying, hey, you have received the Spirit. He says, Did you receive the Spirit? Like acknowledging this is a thing that has already occurred. You have received the Spirit, so how did you get there? How did you get there? Right? Was it by one of these two different things? And as Paul argues against the works of the law as a means of acquiring salvation, he clarifies that these Galatians, they've already heard with faith, is what he says, which secures their salvation enabling them to receive the spirit who certifies their salvation. Now I'm I'm using this word, I'm just kind of throwing it around, certifies, you know, what's what's David talking about? When I say certify, I'm picturing it kind of in like the academic sense, right? When you graduate from college, eventually, hopefully, in your future. And so uh, what happens is when you graduate, you immediately have the status of a graduate. You know, you you complete the classes, you do the work, boom, you, you are graduated, that is your status now. However, you, at the same time, you are given a diploma, like automatically, that certifies your status as a graduate, for others to witness. The, the diploma, that certificate, it certifies, ah, yes, this person has graduated from college. And so, but that graduation experience happens in some ways separately, but in very, also in many ways associated with that certification. So what I'm getting at here is sort of kind of hinted at in Ephesians 1.13, this is another letter or another, a part of another letter that Paul wrote to a different church, a different group of believers. He says, in him in Jesus, you also were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and when you believed. Now that word sealed, that is very interesting to me because uh, an idea that comes to my mind is how when Paul wrote this book, when he wrote Ephesians, he says, you were sealed. Okay, what's he talking about? He didn't have, he didn't have text messages. He didn't have emails. He did not have little envelopes like this, right? But he did have, in those days, documents, letters, parcels, things that had to be transmitted or, or sent, delivered from one place to another. And so in those times, they would use seals for that process. And so you can't do this with a text, but with, with, with a little envelope like this, you can actually seal this in a way that they would do with like a, a scroll or a codex or something in those times. And so what's, what am I getting at? There are two components of a seal, okay? You take some hot wax, some hot wax, right? And you stick it on the front like this, just right in that little spot. And then the second component is you take a stamp with an embossed insignia of some kind, and you, you press it into the wax and you create an impression in the wax and then it solidifies, right? We kind of have an understanding, you know, of what a seal is, yeah, great. So. A seal in this situation has two purposes. There's two purposes. First is to protect the document from being compromised, from being opened, right? It's to keep it secure, right? It's not going anywhere, it's not flapping around like this. It's been sealed, it's secured. And secondly, the purpose of a seal is to mark the document as being genuine or to ensure its legitimacy. You know, a seal might have an insignia or perhaps the the initials of the person sending it or some kind of whatever design that kind of identifies it as being from a particular sender. When you become a Christian and are sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, you are both protected by the power of the Spirit and you are marked as legitimate. You are associated with God in a new identity that he bestows on you. That is wonderful news. That is the meaning. That's the idea of being sealed by God, of being certified by his spirit. Paul makes the argument that the spirit's presence in the lives of the Galatians, the fact that he's in the midst of all, that proves the fact that they don't need to fulfill the law in order to be saved. They're already sealed, certified. And if that's the case for you, then you are already sealed. You are already certified by God, by the Spirit. And in a book that I highly recommend, I don't have it on your your handout here, but in The Fuel and the Flame, uh, the the co-authors write this. They say, when we receive Jesus Christ into our life, the Holy Spirit comes and takes up permanent residence in us. This is just a helpful clarification to me at least. <laughs> he takes up permanent residence in us, okay? And so our task then becomes allowing Him to control and empower us for godly living and service. And so that's that's the role of the Holy Spirit. And he, he is just there. If you are a follower of Christ, He's already there. He's already taken up permanent residence. The question is, what are you gonna do about it from there? How are you going to allow Him to do the work that He's He's in your heart, in your life to accomplish. So that's where we kind of get into some more implications about the Holy Spirit's role for us. And so the second role is that the Spirit stewards our sanctification. The Spirit stewards our sanctification. Now, in verse three of this passage, Paul does not let up, he's not done. (laughs) Uh, He says, are you so foolish (laughs) after beginning with the spirit, are you not going to be made complete by the flesh? Once again, (laughs) Paul is just using a really aggressive question, right? To, To kind of poke holes in this false gospel as well as to help paint a picture of the nature of the Holy Spirit in our lives. See, the ongoing work of our development as the people of God happens through the Spirit, not by carrying out certain rituals in our own strength. And so after we are saved by faith, like he's already talked about, and we're sealed with the Holy Spirit, the Spirit then begins to work in our hearts to sanctify us. So fancy Bible word coming at you, sanctify. What is that? Sanctification is, yeah, a fancy word for essentially being made holy. Being made holy is a way I can think of to, to put this. And there are different ways that that word kind of is rendered in scripture, but that is, that is one of the ways that we can simply understand it for our purposes tonight. Now, sanctification is a lifelong pursuit. That's what sanctification, as we're being made holy, it is a process by which God graciously makes us more like himself. The Holy Spirit is the agent then of sanctification. And in Philippians 1.6, it says, this is once again, a letter from Paul to a church. And he's saying, I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It's a very similar trajectory as Galatians 3 3, right? He's talking about, you know, the beginning to completion or that salvation moment to being made holy. These are the two kind of spots in our life that we need to bridge the gap between. And the Spirit, the Spirit's at work in that whole process, okay? And so when he says, like, he will bring it, he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion, what he's saying is that he, the Holy Spirit, will bring it your holiness to, complete, to completion at the day of Jesus Christ or in the future at the time when Jesus decides to take you home, okay? Now we still have a role. So even though the spirit is an integral part of our process of sanctification, of being made holy, this is not an opportunity for us to like kick back and to just let go and let God in a way that would keep us from doing something about it, no. We have a role. Just like the quote from earlier said, from Fuel in the Flame, it says, we allow him, the Holy Spirit, to control and empower us. So we partner with the Holy Spirit as he works to make us holy. Second Corinthians 3.18 says, we all as believers who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, are being transformed into his image with ever increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the spirit? So the spirit engages up with us in our transformation process to become more like Christ with ever increasing glory. So that's another part of his role sanctifying us to be made holy like God. Now, third, the spirit supplies our supernatural ability. It supplies our supernatural ability. So, By the time that Paul gets to verse five of Galatians three, he has calmed down (laughs) a little bit. (laughs) Okay. He says, he still uses some questions though, to try to draw out meaning and to draw their understanding. He says, so then does God supply you with the spirit and work miracles among you by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? Once again, he is dr- driving home. Is it through the law or is it by your faith? Is, it, is the spirit or the flesh at work here? And, and he, specifically, he, in this particular verse, he addresses the miracles. There are miracles at work amidst the Galatians as a result of the spirit. And so this is another, another kind of facet, another component, another role of God's spirit. And in Acts 1, chap- chapter 1, verse 8, in one of the many things recorded as as Jesus was preparing to leave earth after having come and lived and died and resurrecting, he tells his disciples this in Acts 1.8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth, he says. So, You'll be my witnesses. But specifically he says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And and truly, if you read like the next few chapters of Acts, like you can check out what all that means, okay? That's just a little teaser for you. You can read that if you want. So, but what is the extent of this power that he's talking about? When he says power, oh, you're gonna get some power. What does that mean? Here's a helpful summary from a book um, that I've read. It says that the work of the Spirit is often connected with power, This power can manifest itself in signs and wonders, like miracles, in spiritual gifts to edify the body and in the ability to bear spiritual fruit. So even the last one, bearing spiritual fruit, like being productive and fruitful for God comes about by being filled with the spirit and by the power of the spirit. In John 15, Jesus tells us, apart from me, you can do nothing. And now that he's, no longer on earth and the Spirit's in us. Spirit's telling us the same thing. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So we need to be filled with the Spirit in order to make what we do in life count. We need to be empowered by Him. And now I don't know if I can personally attest to any specific, wow, major miracles, right? That I've seen or Experience, or whatever, right? This seems like a kind of fantastical idea for us to be reading about. You go, is that really? Is that really true? You know, you might be thinking that, and and it, I can't necessarily attest to every kind of specific type of way that God wants to reveal Himself in that way or every kind of miracle. But what I can speak to, it, in terms of the power that God supplies, I I have personally found that in an unmistakable way, in what, in what God says about, about the spirit in 2 Timothy 1.7. This is not on your handout, but it's on a slide, I think. 2 Timothy 1.7 says, for God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, love, and self-discipline. See, my story and my background is that I was raised, in a, in a situation, in a home that was loving and was Christ-centered. And I gave my life to Christ at a young age and I continued to struggle. And I continued to experience difficulty, specifically in the way I related to others. And these two first parts of the verse, 2 Timothy 1.7, fear and timidity, these were truly the, the dominant factors of of my life, of my ability to, to connect, my ability to relate to other people. And I found a lot of difficulty, a lot of struggle, a lot of pain in that experience. And over time, as I continued to, understand what it me- meant to be filled with the Spirit. If, as I continue to understand and to know and relate to the Spirit that He has given us. He's not given me a spirit of fear and timidity. I learned that sometime in college. I was, I was going about my life and I was learning some degree of the ways that God wanted to tr- try to influence me or help me understand more about what it meant to connect to Him and other people. But what I eventually realized when I was in college, was like, oh, He hasn't given me that spirit. <laughs> he hasn't given me that. That's not from God. <laughs> that's, that's from myself. That's from my old nature. That's from, that's from the enemy, honestly. And so that, that was a moment for me to realize that God has given me that, however, a spirit of power and a spirit of love and self-discipline. And I've, I've slowly, since that moment, begun to distress the surface of what it means to live by faith and live in in his power that enables me to do bold things, even though sometimes I don't feel like it. And sometimes that fear, that timidity still kind of rises up in my stomach. But God's work in my life to transform me is nothing short of a miracle. And in some ways my life and my trajectory and my standing here right now, speaking to you, is a testament to the Spirit's power to supply supernatural ability. And so I don't know, I don't know all the ins and outs of what it could possibly mean to experience the miraculous, but I, I can tell you my own experience of, of how God has, has changed me, how God has transformed me. There are people who do know, did know me from my childhood who see what I do now and are surprised at the very least by that. And this, this are, these are the kinds of ways that God can empower and strengthen and encourage you to do amazing things that you did not think possible. And so while it might not look like the specific miraculous things that we see in scripture, it can look like that. And it can also look like spiritual gifts. And in 1 Corinthians 12, it talks all about different kinds of spiritual gifts. And in verses four and through seven, it says that there are different kinds of gifts but the same Spirit distributes them." Once again, the Holy Spirit is a huge part of this. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. And so there are all different kinds of ways that that God manifests that power, that Spirit working uh, within us and among us, but he ultimately supplies that supernatural ability in whatever shape that it takes. And I encourage you to consider what it could look like for you in terms of the spiritual gifts that God has given you or the, the, the temptations that he wants you to help you overcome in the power of his spirit. And there's all different things that, that we could continue to lean into his power in order to experience deliverance from or miracles even from. So I want to wrap up. And there's a fourth element of this, these roles that the spirit has for us. And that this fourth one is that the spirit supports our sonship. The spirit supports our sonship. So for these first few points, I've been looking pretty directly at the first five ish verses of chapter three. And so as I, as I kind of zoom forward a little bit by about 10 verses, after, between these points, Paul spends time in the book explaining God's calling and purpose and promise to a man named Abraham. So who is Abraham? Okay, We might not all be on the same page about this. And so Abraham was a man very, very early in the Old Testament, the, almost the very beginning of the Bible. He was called out by God and to, and to whom, to Abraham, God said, he said, I will bless you. I will make your name great. And in you, all the nations will be blessed. This is what he told Abraham. And so then God established Israel, his covenant people through Abraham. Okay, and so that's kind of the setting. That's kind of the situation we find when we, when we start reading verse 14, it says the purpose was that the blessing of Abraham would come to the Gentiles by Christ Jesus so that we could receive the promised spirit through faith. So now, kind of a confusing sentence, but the implications of this are several. And so first of all, Paul associates the spirit with the blessing of Abraham that's available to all peoples and not just a particular people group. Once again, Paul, God established his people, Israel, And through Christ Jesus, he has expanded our ability as as human beings so that we can all embrace, we can all experience that blessing of Abraham. Because of Jesus, anybody can be adopted into the family of Abraham, thus becoming a child of God. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what nation you come from. It doesn't matter what outward signs of sonship, of of your citizenship as one of God's people. Doesn't matter what you have, all are welcome in the family of God. And this should be a comfort to us. And this is a fulfillment of what God had in mind from the beginning, right? That all the nations of the earth would be blessed. We've been blessed as people who are not necessarily of the people of Israel by blood, physically, in a literal sense. We've been blessed with the promise of justification and with the promise of the spirit. and in Joel, Joel, this is one of the minor prophets in the Old Testament. In chapter two, he says, quoting God, this is God speaking through Joel. He says, after this, I will pour out my spirit on all humanity, all humanity, everybody who chooses to follow me. Then your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your old men will have dreams and your young men will see visions. Whoa, okay. (laughs) These are powerful, miraculous workings of the spirit take place in various ways today and in the past, but they're no longer limited to Abraham's literal offspring. It is available to all peoples, all nations. Romans 8:16 says, the spirit himself testifies together with our spirit that we are God's children. So if you have chosen to make Jesus the Lord of your life, being saved by faith, by grace through faith, then the spirit is in you. And if the spirit is in you, then you are God's child. So I had to ask, are you a child of God? And if you are, how can you, this is important, how can you partner with God to make known the truth of the blessing of the spirit for all nations? So we're now involved, we're now invited into God's plan, God's mission to make himself known among the nations. And then as, as we kind of close things up, I wanna, I wanna help us to understand, how can you respond to all of these implications of the roles of the Holy Spirit of the lone gospel? Perhaps you need to make sure that you truly are a follower of Christ, that you've received the Holy Spirit, that you've been certified by the Spirit. And if you already have, okay, you can be confident in that fact, knowing that you are sealed, right? You're protected by God. You are identified by and marked by God. Or maybe you need to be filled with the Spirit. Maybe you need to to confess sin and submit to the Spirit's lead in your life, to sanctify you, to make your character more like Jesus. Maybe you need to tap into the power that the Spirit supplies to resist temptation or to minister to the body of Christ or to demonstrate the spiritual gifts that he's given you. And finally, you can be comforted by your status as a child of God if you are a child of God seeking ways to add to God's family by exercising the power of the Holy Spirit to the ends of the earth. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you. Your spirit, your your mysterious working in the world and in our lives, in our hearts, God, in our community, God, it's wonderful. You have a plan for each one of us. And I'm so thrilled that you invite us to be a part of your plan, to be one of Abraham's offspring. God, help us to to fully wrap our heads around the magnitude of these things that you've shown us from your word through your servant, Paul, in his letter to the Galatians. I pray that you would open our eyes to your word, to see the wonders that are in your word. And I pray that we, as your people in this place, as we come to a better understanding of what it means to follow you and to to abide in your spirit, that we would see miracles, that we would see changes happen. We would see transformation and, and sanctification occur in a special way as we lean into your spirit and trust in your spirit to make the impossible possible. I pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.